Hey everybody, this is Jess and you're listening to another episode of the Dale and Jess Show. Well, let's just hop into it. Let's see what's going on in the Christian world. I have some news for us to discuss. Are you ready? Okay. I'm ready. All right. So the first one is an article um, that was on the Christian Today website, Mm -hmm. um, and it is entitled Five Flawed Rulers in the Bible Who God Used to Do Good. So apparently this is their way of writing how maybe Trump could be good, I guess. I wish you could see my face right now. Well, let's let let like let let's <laughs> talk about what they're saying. So the article talks about how, you know, terrible he is and basically he's doing, you know, Everyone is concerned um, about how he's been acting and all of that. Um, And here's some of the things that he said that makes it so funny. And he says, like, you know, contrary to the hopes of many, the U.S. president has shown exactly the same characteristics in the White House as he did on the campaign trail with wildly inaccurate assertions, including one about a terrorist incident in Sweden that didn't happen, a chaotic approach to to policy and vitriolic attacks on the press and media who've called him out. Many at home and abroad are worried about what the next four years might bring. But (laughs) there are, but are there any hopeful lessons to draw from the Bible? Some old Testament rulers had very checkered histories, but were nevertheless used by God for a good end. That's how he starts his article. (laughs) that's how he starts everything yes because he has to preface with doom and gloom before he decides he wants to offer some hope well i mean they have hope i so let's just talk about some people who he has here he says these are his examples saul solomon ahab um hezekiah nebuchadnezzar Um, These are examples of bad rulers that still God was able to use for good. So I'm kind of of surprised he didn't include Darius Darius in that. Well, I mean, who? Yeah, that that could have been somebody else that could have been in here. But you know, it's just. Uh, I don't under, well, no, I do understand. <laughs> I do understand because this is what I also learned when I was doing my research for my thesis. And yeah. basically um, for evangelicals, right. they view people as, particularly people in positions of high power and political power, especially, um, they view them as like pawns and God can move them around however God wants to right, to the accomplish hard right heart is in the hand of the God hand of God or whatever. yeah that that's how it works and so even though somebody might suck God can still come through and I mean it's the same reason it's like the rationale that got them behind Ronald Reagan because Ronald Reagan like in and of himself he looked he didn't even really show anything you know 
that would ring as evangelical, particularly in that time. You know, and he was divorced. Um, and he also helped to make divorce easier in, in, in California and all of that. Um, but because of his stances, he was somehow moldable and pliable to God. And so basically, you can be pretty much a hellion as long as you're like, you know, say something that's kind of evangelical in a way, God can use you. And so that's what this article is basically saying. And so, but can we talk for a second about how Paul gets a bad rap, in my opinion? As a, as wait, as an example of, of a bad ruler? Yeah, he gets a bad rap. I, think I don't. He gets a bad I rap. I don't know if the problem that I have with the categories is that in terms of people that have power, this is someone that essentially starts off in a high position and then winds up actually the roles being reversed. You understand what I'm saying? Like, I see Paul as someone that basically is. He turns out being he he's a wait not not Saul in the New Testament. We're talking about Saul, King Saul in the Old Testament. Oh, Saul! Oh, yeah, no, Saul. Saul was the patsy. Saul was the fall guy. Yeah, because, like, yeah, he gets the bad rap. And I, the thing that's kind of crazy about the story with the Saul story is that it seems it seems as if there is very few close reading of the chapters before Saul became king. And there seems to be little, no one seems to really pay attention to the fact that in this context, he was never, he never, apparently in, in terms of the Old Testament telling about the kingdom of Israel, um, they really were never meant to be ruled in that way. Nope. They were never supposed to have a king. They never right. were. They wanted a king like everybody else. And right. I mean, I think it's hilarious that the text itself is like, you know, if you get a king, he's going to really mess you over. He's going to take all of your stuff. He's going to send your people to war. You're really much better off letting God rule you. But, and that's what God is telling them through Samuel. But I think the other thing that people don't realize, too, is that this text is probably written and compiled to tell the story of of David's reign and to make mm -hmm. and to argue for David's legitimacy. And so that's what all of this works to do. And that, you know, Saul, Saul was picked, like Saul was, was, was picked. He was anointed. He did whatever he did. But the thing that made him bad was that he kept some of the things that God quote unquote said to, to destroy. And so okay. that in and of itself is what made God, made him lose favor. And then all of a sudden, this boy in the woods, I mean, well, in the fields, rather, gets God's mm -hmm. favor. And so when you see those drastic shifts like that in the text, mm -hmm. it should make you think like, hmm, what's happening? It, I mean, of course, you know, everybody loves David. Everybody loves David. He sings such pretty songs and he killed Goliath with the rock. I personally think David is a jerk. Like he's really a jerk. Like he, he <laughs> like he is a jerk. He is a, he is just so many other things. He's he, he's so many not positive things. Um, so you know. basically, and I I well, how are we are we being PG or PG thirteen or are we being like do do I need to just basically say 
What you gonna say? I was just gonna say David is is what you what we what we call the uh, f boys. <laughs> well, I mean, listen. In all honesty, I I, I don't see. Ugh, I mean, we can have a whole episode talking about David, but the the my whole thing is is that Saul gets a very bad rap, um, and he gets that rap because they because whoever whoever help to compile this text obviously favors David. And right. so there is no type of reasonable explanation. Like, well, no, it's reasonable to them because particularly people in that area of the world, certain things can't touch and mingle and mix. And so right. in their eyes, you can, to people in that time to say, oh, these are sheep from these people, from this land and from this section. Right. And you know, it's from these people who worship these gods. And so these things right. are tainted. And so that right. is in their mind, a way to make him legitimate, but that to set the story up that way. And then all of a sudden fast forward to this kid mm-hmm. with his sheet. Right. Um, that, you know, that has no other, like the details of the story basically dictate that there's nothing. I mean, he's handsome. Right. That's it. He's handsome. He takes care of the sheep, um, and and that's all. But um, yeah, and then I mean, I don't like how the article also says that he also appears to have suffered from a mental illness, and I don't really like that either. But um, they next go and talk about that Solomon is another example um, that uh, that Trump. I mean, I just this is a well. I mean, Trump has had a lot of wives, and there a lot of them are foreign. <laughs> well, you know who else has had a lot of wives besides Trump? Who? Newt Gingrich. Well, I mean, him and Rudy. What? Uh, Rudy Giuliani no, but, and, but and no. Newt is Newt is beyond. To me, Newt might be a rung above Trump in terms of the, the trifling level. Oh, did like, he like leave his wife when she was while like sick? She, while she was in, like he he. In other words, he left his wife for the nurse to take care of her oh, while God. she was in the hospital. Yes. <laughs> yes. I, I remember that. And Giuliani's trifle of a high. How are you going to try to move the mistress into the house and the divorce isn't even final? I, yeah, they, oof. Messy, man. But, but Messy. these are the people, like, this is my concern. And I mean, we could go through all of these, but I think the whole main thing is that there's these that, to me, it seems like what the author is trying to do is trying to give some sort of hope that, oh, listen, God can still do great things, even though Trump is basically a screw up. From but why weren't you saying this when Barack was in office for eight years? Well, there's a reason for that. Nobody well, wants to admit it. Nobody wants to because God loves everybody. The God who created all types of colors and shapes and sizes apparently does not pay attention to any of them when he does anything. But that's a whole nother story. But no, I think my my main problem with this article is that he's. He's like, there is no good thing. Like his good things are probably, oh, they're going to try to restrict abortion and they're going to roll back LGBTQ rights and they're going to take away sick people's Obamacare. He literally did. Like he literally just just reversed like transgender students protection. Right. And so that that's why it's like, this is a bunch today. of BS. Like it's flipping today. It's BS. It's total BS. And I think ultimately, um, yeah, I just think it's a, it's a mess. Like I'm annoyed. Like it's, how 81% of these folks voted for Trump. I know how. 
I mean, 81%. And I know, like, I know how. It's just that it, like, seriously, like, you, you, there is no one, anyone, like, there's nothing anyone can say to make Christianity the arbiter of morality in this country anymore. Yes, I know plenty of Christians who are all about social justice and being in, in inclusion and fairness and all of that. There's a lot of them. I know that to be true. Um, and so I don't think it takes anything away from them. But this type of Christianity that has taken up public space is disgusting and evil. That There's really nothing else to say. And that if you can basically say, listen, I know that man is a sexual assault. You know, he did sexual assault. He's gross. He's vile. He's racist. Um, you know, he's even broke, been married a bunch of times, even if you want to go that far. But they still preferred him. Um, they still voted for him. Like, mm-hmm. it's, oh, they're just gross. And so, but I mean, even the idea that something good could happen, good for who? Like, what is good? And, and my assumption is that given his the way, like, for example, he, he tells on himself in this article, like right. he says um, that part of the reason that Solomon fell was because he had so many foreign wives. And that's, oh, this, right. but that's only right. partly true. It's only partly true. A king having a bunch of wives isn't, wasn't the big deal. The big deal is that they were foreign. You could have yeah. as many wives as you can afford. And, 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 you know, as long and he could afford a lot, clearly. But the bigger issue is that these wives are foreign wives. And that's why um, it was seen as an issue. Um, that's the same yeah. thing you see in the Jezebel story. It's like, it's not the fact yeah. that you've got all these wives. is that they are, um, you know, they're foreign. And that they could lead them astray. I mean, even, you know, the, um, the song, the Proverbs that everybody loves, you know, every time spring rolls around, folks roll out Proverbs 33, what the Proverbs 33 woman, all that type of stuff. 31. Or 31, that's what it is. I was like, wait, is it new, new text that was discovered? <laughs> well, the, the, here's the thing about that. Like, if you read the stuff in there about the woman and, you know, the, the, the woman who is the temptress and all that other stuff. Those right. things were written likely at a time to serve as like a rebuke to Solomon. And so that's likely what, oh, what was that? Sorry. <laughs> so yeah, those things were like a rebuke for Solomon. Um, right. And so this idea that it's giving you advice about how to deal with women in the day-to-day world that's not really true. And so when you get to the Proverbs, what is it, 33 woman? 31? 31. Okay, 31. I, keep, I, I keep saying 33. But when you get to her, that is like, this is the woman who you need in contrast to those other foreign, salacious women. And also, sex was used as a way to describe um, what they considered worshiping other gods and stuff like that. And so mm-hmm. it's written with words that talk about sex, but it's not really about sex. But when we read right. it, we think about sex. But right. it really it's wasn't. About, it's about idolatry, but sex is used in a way to, I guess, the shock, I guess it maybe for that period it was for shock value. Mm-hmm. In other words, you use a particular type of language to jar and to get, get um, for, to, strengthen your emphasis on a particular topic or a particular point well it was commonplace i mean even today 
if you want to insult somebody, you talk about their sex life. Like, even today, particularly when talking about women, you know, if you could be talking about, I don't know, someone could, like, a woman could be doing math, and someone doesn't like her, and all of a sudden she gets called a hoe. Like, it has nothing to do with her doing math at all. But it's just something that people have done um, throughout the ages to discredit people who they don't like. Um, people who they think are wrong in some shape or form, they talk about their sex, and they, make, they kind of demonize. What, and, and the thing is, they may, they may or may not be having this sex at all. And, and like a lot mm-hmm. of times, even in the Bible, they aren't having this sex. It's just like mm-hmm. a, a claim. But my anger at the article, again, overall, is just that this idea that somehow he'll be better for us, that somehow he'll come around and that God will use him. And so, no, nah, it's just, uh, yeah, gross. No, my favorite, my favorite is one. My, this is one of my favorites that the folks like to throw around. They like to throw around Trump as the culmination of the evangelical um, evangelicalism's great awakening or Christianity's great awakening. And I'm like, so what was going on when President Obama was in office? So are you saying that like everybody like I'm I, I, I find it very I when folks use this type of analogy, I, I'm thoroughly disgusted by it because it's just one of those things where I feel more often than not, it's just this is their catch all phrase to kind of sort of avoid having to deal with uncertainty and deal with the real uh, complexity of what this nation is going to face, and it's not just—I mean, regardless of whether which, whether or not you're a Christian or not—but I, f- I feel in some ways it's it's a way to to galvanize and rally the tr- your tribe. It's not really about oh well, you know, this is this is why you know we have been saying X Y and Z. Welcome to the reality. Welcome to what, you know, difficulty looks like. Um, but it's it's kind of nuts because, you know, I don't think evangelicals even realize that they're the ones in the privileged position in this country. Well, white people don't tend to really understand that privilege thing they don't when like i've seen this phrase i'm sure people have heard it over and over again that if you um if all you've been your your whole life is privilege then somebody else getting equal rights seems like oppression in some way shape or yep. form to you yep. and so yep. this idea that they're still holding on to um and i don't know it's just it it, it reeks like i'm sure that his idea of god doing good God doing good things somehow, some way will equal people um, in marginalized communities being harmed. And so that's ridiculous. And um, oh, my, oh, yeah, you know it. You know it. Like, and is this the thing that I find it to be completely ironic is that you have conservative judges that are doing their job, being the, the exact, you know, the, the third branch of government that's supposed to actually check the uh overreach of the executive and even sometimes the legislative branch um in terms of authority and interpret the law 
and judge and decide as to whether or not the law is actually in line with current uh, the laws and the Constitution and things like that. So I just find it to be humorous because they they really are just like, oh, it'll be all right, because they're thinking, oh, well, they'll they'll stop Susie from getting an abortion and they'll stop. You know, the gays won't be able to get married anymore. And I can say and do whatever I want about trans people and gay people and 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 the blacks, (laughs) you know, and I won't feel you know, I won't feel guilty or I won't feel uncomfortable um, saying the things that I normally would say. I can say that whatever I want now. And it's, it's one of those things where I'm at a point now where as a recovering, and I say recovering like, you know, you're in AA, you're in meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, I say that as someone to say, this is not new. This is just another phase. And what's sad about it is, is that I personally feel like if the Christian faith is going to survive, this has to happen. There has to be a collapse in order for there to be a reconstruction. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be messy and it's going to be ugly. And I am here for it. Yeah, I think, I mean, one, we will never know, but I really feel like this is, if it's not the big, if not maybe the very beginning, but this is the beginning of evangelical evangelical Christianity. Oh, I could barely say that. (laughs) This is the beginning of that type of Christianity jumping the shark. And I'm happy for it. It needs to go. Like, it's not even about reforming or whatever. It totally needs to go away. Um, or at the very least, becomes so weak that it can't hurt anybody anymore. Um, but are we done with that one? Can we move on? Yes, we can. Because I listen. I you already know how I feel about half of this type of stuff. Okay. I I mean I roll my eyes so many times at that article. I thought I was going to have a seizure. Okay. Let's move on to something else. Let's talk about this other article from the Christian Post, um, and it is titled Three Ways Chance the Rapper." represents millennial Christianity. (sighs) So, (laughs) I mean, you know, every time I hear the word millennial, I usually cringe a little bit, but here is why I cringe. Particularly, like he says, it's three ways. One, he hasn't signed with any label, right? And so, it's this idea, he couldn't, the author says he compares this to well you know um that many people um leave traditional church institutions but join startup religious nonprofit organizations um and so he he equates chance the rapper not being signed to a major label with millennials particularly millennial christians eschewing traditional church That's yeah. Wow. That that's what he does. Okay. Um. Yeah, that's what he does. So that's that. The second thing he says. I'm surprised. I mean, with all that reaching and contorting, I'm surprised he's not auditioning for Cirque du Soleil. I mean, really. I I mean, okay. I mean, 
So basically, he's saying that not going to church is like you being unsigned. It's always like it's I don't I don't really. Again, it's 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 the the most. I mean, I don't think he's intentionally trying to be jerkish, but no, I, don't, I know he's I, not trying to be jerkish. He really, he really think like it's to me. It's the Dana Carver response. Well, isn't that special? I mean, like, I really, yeah. I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> um, what else? Um, number two, and this is what I really did not like. Okay, number two says that he's rough around the edges, and so I don't like that because. He's- it fe- I don't I do not know what he meant. I do not know, but it feels like that could have a racist tinge to it. Even if he doesn't realize that's what he's doing, I think one thing that people sometimes in talking about chance is that they neglect how he talks about like like he they neglect the fact that he's black and what that means and how he handles that and how he holds it right, and I think that people kind of leave that out and so they talk about him. It's like okay, you're you can't you can't talk about him and not go through that piece. And so for me, saying he's rough around the edges, particularly this. I mean, to be fair, I do not know what race this gentleman is who wrote. I tried to find it, but I couldn't find him. And this might be his first article. I didn't see any more articles in the Christian Post by him. Um, but I just didn't feel that I liked him being caught rough around the edges. And particularly because the article says that he's rough around the edges because he curses and uses vulgar language. So that makes him rough around the edges because people who are well put together apparently don't cuss. Yeah. I, I literally... And the thing that's so crazy to me is that he, he knows he's actually stepped in it because then he, then he follows up with the whole study about millennials and um, surveys saying that they have a, have higher productivity if they're allowed to swear at work or if they are in a work environment such as that. And the thing that's so crazy about that is that I know what survey he's referencing, and that wasn't a survey of just millennials. That was a survey with boomers mixed in so and it was also including leadership and management in regards of the swearing in the office environment so it's just one of those things where you just wanted to be like um sir i have the receipt that's not really what rough around the edges actually means well he quotes a survey saying that roughly two-thirds of millennial employees swear at work Right, so this is what, but that's this is what makes them rough around the edges because they cuss, which is which is ludicrous because I I find it to be absolutely ridiculous because these are the same folks that want to police people's emotions and intentions and you know talk you know their idea of uh, dealing with desire is to you have to you know the battlefield of the mind and. Oh, you know, like, everybody you, loves that book. You can't, I know, you, you know. You can't talk about that book. People are going to be care. mad at us. Listen. Everybody had that have, book. Like, what edition is it in now, anyway? Is it, like, what, the 20th edition or something? Listen, they have it. They probably have it for work. They have, like, the business, the work edition. They probably have, like, the daily calendar. Like, listen. I listen. had a book. Like, I had, like, my mom had that book. She loved it. I had to read that book for an organization that I was in a while ago. 
that and I had the one with the blue cover with the chess pieces yes. on the front. Yes, <laughs> I had that. I actually, <laughs> listen, I had that one, and it was in a box with several other Christian books that went uh, goodbye that I donated. Man, listen, like, they make some money <laughs> off of that stuff. But it is a yeah. Let's yeah. I'm not surprised. I'm really not surprised, which is crazy to me is because you you want to talk about foul language, but you don't want to talk about, you know, the foul level of apathy that you have towards other people that don't look like you or the foul apathy that you have towards people that are poor or the lack of concern and regard that you have for people that are widows and people that are, I don't know, foreign. The Syrian refugees come to mind. Well, but that's, I mean, we know that's just, that's just the MO. But um, that's the third point. Let's talk about that point now. He understands the urgency of now. And so millennials are unsigned. We have foul mouths. And we understand the urgency of now. And this, this sentence in particular is, I don't know why it's funny to me. I read it and I laughed. It said, His songs have a palpable energy that is characteristic of rap. Not all millennials rap, but many share their urgency that characterizes rap. What? What, what does that mean? <laughs> My face right now. I don't like... understand. I don't under, but you know, I mean. Let's not even talk about the fact that every time I see something with the word millennial in it, I basically roll my eyes back. Um, and as some, like I've taught like my students and things about generations and and what they mean. And I mean, I teach them so they have general ideas. But when you get to the point where it's like, okay, now all of this really, as you get closer and closer, this all, this stuff kind of all falls apart because you. Just because you grew up in the same time doesn't mean you experience things the same way. Um, like right. millennial, like when you talk about millennials, which millennials are you talking about? Are you talking about right. white millennials, black millennials? Millennials in Egypt right now are probably not thinking of the same necessarily as a millennial in Kentucky somewhere. And it's like right. to, and it's, and it's very like Eurocentric. Like people actually, if you look online, um, Adam Conover, um, did did something on this and he talked about how basically this was made up as like it was marketing tools but it really right. wasn't like it was shoddy in some ways and so it was a lot of competition on how wh- who gets to name which generation and all of that type of stuff and so it's just all a mess and so it's it's not that it's totally unhelpful it's just that it only goes but so far and nowhere near right. as far as what people generally tend um to think but yeah, I mean, I, I mean, of it's course, people. It is, but if I'm someone like Chance who is so blatant with his faith. Right. Um, of course, they're gonna love so, and then the the things that he says when he's blatant about his faith, like, oh, people will, like, white evangelical folks will love that, but it right. doesn't necessarily mean they're gonna think they're not gonna listen to any like Chance. He has talked about this stuff in Chicago. He said political things. He said things against Trump. They're not going to hear any of those. So right. it's whatever. So, I mean, are we done with them? I kind of, they made me I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm really over it because the thing that kind of gets to me so much about this is that the main folks that are always talking about millenniums, 
millennials are the main ones who are actually, they're the folks that actually created the mess that millennials will have to clean up. Mm. And then they want to step back and then say, well, it's all your fault. No, it's actually the fact that you, you are, it takes two people to create a dynamic. So it's just, to me, it's similar to how elder leadership in institutional churches want to talk about reaching the youth, but they don't involve any of their young adults or youth as a part of the planning or leadership for events, for discussions about particular like sermons or programs. Or even, um, like just basic stuff like music. Or, but I mean, I'm not surprised because think about this type of culture. This is a culture where everything is shrouded in Christianese, and no one can really actually say what they really mean because there's this there's this real fear of offense, which really is. I don't want to tick off leadership. <laughs> I don't want to rock the boat. I will say this, and then I am quite ready to move on from these two wonderful pieces. Um, With millennials in particular, I think that the church has largely missed the boat, and that is why it's not going to work. Because for some reason, um, people when people talk about millennials, they really forget that like all millennials are like well into adulthood, like. We're talking like most millennials are probably like if you want to go just by college age per se, most of us, if we went to college, like if we went to college right after high school, we're out and working jobs. Um, like I'm 33. I'm a millennial. You know, I, you know, and so it's the, like there are no teenage millennials. That's over. And so this idea that um, we're all just so... Like, they talk to us like we have no insights, no understandings, or whatever. And that's why, like, the reason why churches grow and sustain is because people are born in church, people grow up there, then they have kids, then they bring Mm -hmm. them, then those kids Mm -hmm. grow up, then they have kids, and so on and Mm -hmm. so forth. And now that has stopped. People have left. And so no one is being... No one is being born in the church. The best we're getting is recycled members. But what happens is Mm -hmm. those members begin to die. And so if no one's being born in and no one new is coming, except the people who've already been to the church up the street, at some point, you're not getting anything new because everybody who is new, like the new people left. And so they're going somewhere else. And so, but um, yeah, that's it. We're done with that. Next. Yep. Yeah, I I think we can definitely talk about like topics and questions. Okay. So, um, hmm. I mean, there was one that we got um, in a Facebook poll, I guess you could say, that was about militarism within contemporary praise and worship. Oh God, can. Can you wait? (laughs) Can you break that down? (laughs) Okay, so basically, basically, when you uh, what's a really good song, a classic example of this? Ty Trivets. I get what you mean. Ty Trivets. Ty Trivets. What is that? uh, Stand out. 
Yeah, that's I'm, a classic. I want it all back. I'm going to take it down, tear it down. Right, right. Like sound the alarm. You know, we're going to take that whole. We're going to take back the kingdom, and we're going to fight, and we're going to go have our war cry. All of yeah, that. All of that. Uh, listen, folks love to fight. I swear, uh, t- teach my hands the war. Marvin Sapp, all of that type of stuff. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I mean, it's rampant. Spiritual warfare, prayer warriors. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm laughing because at one one point in my life, that totally made all the sense in the world. But now they of a prayer warrior, like wow. Listen. So John A. John Acuff, even John Acuff, like who's like the you, you know your Wonder Bread evangelical. Oh my God! Comedian. Did you call him Wonder Bread? Yes, I did. Sure <laughs> did. <laughs> I sure did. Go I mean, Keep, I'm just saying. I, there's like I, can't. I have his, I have his book Stuff Christians Like, which literally had me. Now, granted, this was before, this was shortly before I started to have like the doubt and the questions and, and some of the things, the push, the pushback that I was realizing. I was like, wait a minute, this doesn't make sense. This is not, there's something, you know, when you start to wonder, this is not it. This can't be it. So he has a sketch. He has several of sketches where he has the full armor of God. Mm-hmm. So he has like, uh, it has a caption that says love on. <laughs> so he has like a, a soldier, like a, a boy soldier, with like the army helmet and the AK-47 of truth. And like, so he's like all these different, you know, all these different um, indications for what part of the arm of God this particular person was. <laughs> I mean, but it makes ooh. sense. It makes sense. Because think about how the men's conferences, the camo. The illustrations that folks have for sermons. Oh yeah, like I mean, particularly like the early two thousands or something. Like, oh. like the folks were good for like, especially a youth, a young adult night. You had to wear like fatigues and boots. I mean, I, I mean, you gotta mention. You, you have to mention. You have listen. You have to mention T.D. Jakes. You have T.D. Jakes men's conference. Oh and yeah. camo. Everybody is yeah. fighting. Everybody's getting ready for war. Everybody is going to battle. Um, and Jesus is a my. I mean, Jesus fights all the battles and everything. Look, I think Yolanda Adams, the battle was the Lord. And I mean, there there is there's stuff in scripture that describes God as a warrior and stuff like that. So it's not like it comes out of nowhere. It's right. just that um, I know for me, um, particularly when you have like contemporary gospel music, which honestly, I don't even listen to really anymore. Um, I, I mean, I don't really keep up with it. Um, like the, the, the new stuff. I don't, I just don't. Oh, uh, I forgot to tell you. So DC, I, I'm, I'm trying to decide, should I, should I go ahead and talk about this? Cause my, you know, my petty level is over 5,000 <laughs> today. Oh goodness. <laughs> um, but there are things like having 24-hour worship and prayer. Oh, yes. Like, I mean, oh, I've seen that before. Like, um, yes. have you ever heard of IHOP? 
Not the yes. like not not I know. Yeah, not, not international. I know which IHOP you're talking about. Not the pancakes. You're talking about the International House of Prayer. Yes. With wasn't the, there? They were. Some, it was some type of lawsuit with them too. Like they were. Yes, like, there was. I remember that. That's so funny. Yes. But they have stuff like that. I still get those emails about the call and going down to the mall to cry for God's deliverance and all the other stuff. Yes. For the name. But yes. no, it's. I really think like. I mean, one, it is rampant, like going back to what the topic was, is like, it's true, like it's it's in there. Everybody is fighting and battling and, and waging war. Um, but I think it shows, I mean, that stuff is in there. Like that stuff isn't pretend, it's not fake. You know, like it's, you have, you know, the psalm, like that Marvin Sapp song, Teach My Hands to War, that's, that's a line taken from a psalm. You know, teach my hands for battle and my fingers to war. And, and I mean, even, you know, God, it was seen as this thunder, lightning, war God, Yahweh, you know, um, that, that's what, you know, that's a, that, that's the lineage of that idea of what God is in the Hebrew scriptures. And then even Jesus, I think a lot of times people ignore the violence in the New Testament because it's like, oh, well, Jesus is just nice and petting lambs. And no, there's a hell of a lot of violence in the New Testament, particularly the end when Jesus is imagined as this He's cloaked in white on a horse with a long sword and his cloak is dripped in blood. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's all this stuff that's in there too. And I think Mm -hmm. it's, um, uh, I mean, I'm generally not here for most contemporary gospel music and CCM music anyway. So it, it could, it wouldn't matter if they didn't have as many battles and fighting and waging war. Um, I can appreciate that even if I don't necessarily agree with it. Um, but to me, I think that's not the biggest issue with it. I think the bigger issue is the overall theology about how they view God and the world and, and other people. Um, but I mean, we, I mean, I'm just reflecting back on the years. We had a good run. Like you, it wouldn't be, it, a year would not have gone by if you didn't, somebody had to have some type of military imagery in a sermon somewhere remember mm-hmm. everybody had to fight everybody was fighting people god has to fight 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 and i get it um i i can understand and appreciate wrestling in prayer right like that makes sense to me mm-hmm. like even though i don't agree with it or do that anymore like i, I right. it makes sense to me i understand it's just everybody fighting like what what do you we have to fight, and and, and this is all right. It's gonna get me in trouble, but I'm gonna say it anyway. I think that sometimes what people do. No, I know this is what happened. What people do is, I can't fight this thing in real life, so I'm gonna do this thing in this situation, so that way I don't feel like I'm totally helpless. Right. And so if I can't fight my problems by actually doing something. Whether I can or can is up for debate. Um, and so I don't want to make it seem as if, oh, like, you know, like, let's say something happens or the rent is due and you don't have any other option. And so then right. you rely on that and that's your way to fight. And so that's what they do. And so, again, like, it could be some legitimate situations that are going on, but it's a way that people deal with the sense of feeling helpless. Right. Um, and so I think it's a way we can be honest about that. I don't want to denigrate people in that position because I know how no. it feels to be in that situation. No. No, but I, I don't, 
I don't think that's your intent. No. I, I, I seriously don't. <laughs> no. But I think that sometimes we have to ask ourselves why we do the things that we do. And so for me, it's healthier to acknowledge that I feel helpless than getting up at 6 a.m., not eating, walking around the church babbling, <laughs> putting my, or putting, putting, putting um, oil to someone. To, I mean, we used to go to 6 a.m. prayer. When I, I, I was super that. saved, like in college, and I was like, really? Like, seek the Lord in the I, morning type saying? I, I, listen, my mother, like, let's, let me tell you about my mother, okay? So just to, just to give you a bit of a background. So my mother was what people would call the prayer warrior. Like, she literally was that. <laughs> for I'm not kidding. I'm not literally kidding at all. And that's why when you said it, I literally like, it's hilarious. I mean, looking back now, but I, and I'm not knocking anything that she does because in essence, what she really is doing is she's being a supportive and encouraging friend because she is that type of person that is very gracious and very merciful and very considerate and really tries to fight for others in a sense of setting things right. Um, so that's probably where I get a little bit of my, my fire from, <laughs> but she is, she was, it probably still is in some ways that prayer warrior, like she'll get up in the morning and pray with someone. And I, there's too many stories to count of her, um, praying with folks at like five o'clock in the morning, like it's nothing. And I'm like, oh, she's on the prayer line. Okay. <laughs> and you know, that is... That is her way of showing that she's standing with people, that she cares right. about people. And so right. even you can, you can talk about the belief, but it also serves a function, right? And I think you have to acknowledge both of those. Um, I know for me, like I said, when I was an undergrad, we, I went to an interdenominational charismatic church. And a bunch of us, um, you know, me and some of my good college friends, we would get up, we would take a bus or we would call the drunk shuttle to take us to the church for 6 a.m. prayer. And we would pray and walk around the church at 6 a.m. And we would tear, do all that stuff. And then we would go and have like breakfast or whatever. And, and people would be bringing like, people would bring um, things of oil for the pastor to pray over. And sometimes they would bring like way, those. Wait, 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 Yes, way, like way. you know those big old bottles of Wesson with like the, the ear of corn on the front of it, like from Costco. Not like, not like the, 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 the Chris. Yes. They <laughs> the would bring them and have them pray over it. And he would do it too. And so I get it. I had that, I had that phase when I had to fight in war and prayer and I'd whatever and whatever. No, I understand. I like I get it. It's just that we, we're going to have different opinions about prayer. My hope is that people would realize why they're doing what they're doing. Right. No, I, I get it. And I had to keep that in mind because I was having a conversation with someone and she is, you know, she's very much clued into, she's very much in, as I like to call it, the bubble planet or evangelical la la land. So everything is super spiritual and everything you have to, you know, you have to look at them. You're looking at it in the natural. You're not looking at it. In the, you have to look at it through the spiritual lens, you know. So I can I cannot gripe or talk about professional my work frustrations and this well not just her but just other people's response was to well you know come in to work early and take some oil 
and anoint her entire area. And I'm just like... Why are you putting canola <laughs> oil on people's seat, ma'am? You can't do that. <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. Now, it's like... Now that, she slide right... I mean, this person would slide all the way off. And that's now, the granted, thing. It's like, I that's don't just, know. That's, that's a, I mean, if you, you know, if I'm, if I'm petty and spiteful, that's a whole other level type of satisfaction. But that's not what... <laughs> That's not what we're here for. I mean, um, it's just, it's, it's, I, again, I understand that mindset, this idea. And I mean, it's not, most of religions are somehow this, uh, this idea or hope or ritual that people engage in the mm-hmm. hope that whatever superhuman powers they can connect with can be used to work things out to their favor. That mm-hmm. is what most, if not all, religion at some point mm-hmm. does and hopes to do. Right. Um, and so, fine. But I think even getting back to the military part, it's like people want God to fight for them because there are other battles that they feel like they can't win. And maybe they can't win them. Maybe they can't. I think, you know, like, I, I think that, that that is a possibility. But I, But for me, my concern is that not so much that people pray, but my concern is that people expect prayer to, like, they expect a response to prayer. Well, actually, no, that sounds mean. That's not particularly what I mean. You, like, they, you, they, it sounds like a, you're, talking, you're referring to prayer as a panacea. Like, if I pray, it'll be okay. And it won't be okay. I think that's my thing, is that you can pray, but prayer in and of itself is not the, prayer is not the end. And so prayer might be the thing that I mean, like, I meditate personally. I don't pray, I meditate. And it's not, I'm not talking to anybody. I'm just centering on myself and my breath. And in those times and spaces, sometimes ideas come to me. Sometimes, you know, I wake up a little more. Sometimes something I was trying to figure out the day before, maybe I might figure out an answer. And so, you know, maybe that, I'm sure that happens for some people in some way, shape, or form. And that's great. But I think that prayer, the way a lot of people use it, Particularly if you talk to God and you think you could, like going back to what the question was, if you mm-hmm. think you can sick God on people, right? And so right. if it's like, oh, well, God, I tithe and I don't have sex and I don't listen to secular music. And so when I pray, God's going to come and get you together. If it, we're talking about that type of stuff, I'm not with it. And that's what a lot of it is. So, in other words, you're, what you're really talking about, I mean, if we're going to be technical, you're really talking about manipulation, i.e. witchcraft. Well, see, you know. I mean. Well, you know, I wouldn't. Here's the thing. I wouldn't call it witchcraft because I, I think that would be offensive to witches and Wiccans. Ooh, golly. Like. No, it's true. It's like that. No, that no, would I'm, be, I'm, not, I, I, I'm not saying that it isn't offensive to uh, Wiccans. Um and other uh pagans. That would be offensive but, to them. Like the way that the way that Christian folk think of witchcraft. So basic so essentially what it really is is you want you want you want prayer. Your reason why you why folks some folks pray is because they want to change people or they want Things to work out the way in which they think it should be worked out. Yep. They think it should work out their way and the, or that they don't have any power to do it and that somehow because of their unique relationship with God, 
um, that this will make a difference. Mind you, if you had this unique relationship with God, it impacts almost nothing else. Like, okay, if you have this special relationship with God, you couldn't get something else to happen? Like, can't y'all talk about something else besides... And I mean, I don't... Again, it's it's so difficult because, I mean, part of me is being silly. But right. even in my thoughts about it, I don't want to be... A, I, if I'm critiquing, fine, it is what it is, but I don't want to be unnecessarily harsh to people and about right. people's stuff. Um, even, but it's hard. It's hard to do that. Um, but I'd write, but that's the risk we're willing to take. So, uh, well, what, yeah, because this is, I mean, honestly, this is your lane. So now if we was talking about dating and relationships, oh, you know, I would have already snatched all kinds of weaves, lace fronts and every edge that was left on a person's scalp. But that's a whole other podcast for a whole other day. Uh, what's the next one? So I think the next thing was basically, I guess, an anonymous, I guess, comment about how I guess this particular person, which was anonymous, they said that they felt cursed mm. and that they didn't feel like that they w- would be able to succeed unless they were a chaste church going homophobe. Oh, um, and that's pretty much they're talking about their experience with the church. And I'm like, wow. I mean, listen, you know how people are. I mean, I will say this. When I came out, one thing I had to sincerely, one thing I had to really sit and deal with was the idea that, oh my God, I will be unsuccessful because somehow, some way, I'm doing something wrong against God. And I had to sit and wrestle with that thing for a while. And so what people don't realize is that like you're taught that if you want to be successful in life, like if you do all the right things or strive so hard to do the right things, then eventually God will bless you. Usually round about your mid to late twenties, mm-hmm. um, God will bless you <laughs> mm-hmm. and you'll be well on your way. Mm-hmm. And the longer you wait and the harder it is, then God has something really special for you. And you just have to wait and hold on. It's so many of us are taught that, and so when we inevitably discover that it's not true, we have to mm-hmm. deal with that. And so it sucks. It really, really sucks. Um, I had I most of that idea is gone from my mind now. I'm glad, but they really bang that into you. This idea that if you don't do what God says, then your life will be successful. And of course, God only talks about who you have sex with and what you and in in that like sex and how to be the right type of man or woman is it. Like, if you do those things well, then you'll be blessed. If not, you won't. Yeah. You know how I feel about this. You already know. I I mean, bye. Like, I really have. I literally, if it were possible, I would like to take, make, have an event. I should have had one during during the fall. Have a bonfire with all those books about, you know, just hold on and having patience and and it's just like those memes drive me absolutely crazy. God's gonna do it. It's it's just it's ridiculous. And it doesn't deal with the reality of like how many people that have literally died and left this planet that believed God and were standing 
you know, standing on the word and believing for something and it didn't happen. Yeah, that's just so. I mean, that is rampant. And I think there are a lot of people, particularly, you know, who are, you know, my age or age, a little younger, who have lived life. Like, I know personally, like, I know of a number of people, um, you know, like I said, around our ages, Mm -hmm. um, who, like, you know, married, divorced, all types of issues, stuff like that. And just the tale that we were told is just simply not true. Like, it's not true. It's not, whether you want to hold on to your faith or not, this story is just not true. And I think that right. um, it's so harmful to get people, like, because you you spend your whole life, and you spend your formative years trying to please, all right, I'm just going to, listen, I'm just going to shoot from the hip. Say it. I'm just going to say it. You spend, and say, call us sing a thing. You spend so much of your formative years trying to please this guy who lives in the sky who you've never seen. Mm-hmm. To the point where you don't really do anything to find out who you are, to find out what you're about, what you want to do. You're trying so hard to fit this pre-prescribed role that you don't know who you are. And so even if you want to use the whole God thing, I guess if you want, you don't even get to find out how God uniquely made you because you're so busy trying to figure out how to be what somebody else wants you to say, who said God said this. Right. You know, and so you miss out on some on important um, growth and important experiences all because of, you know, you're trying to, I can't make this guy in the sky. And it's always a guy in the sky. It's all, God is a man to the vast majority of these people. God is like a big dad, you know, who's ready to, you know, who's loving, but will hit you with a stick if you do something wrong. And so people are definitely afraid of offending God and not being blessed or going to hell. And so that pervades their lives in such a way that they don't allow themselves to have, like, life. I mean, even in the text, like, you want to, you know, you just want to use the Bible. It talks about, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. I came, you know, beloved, I wish that you prosper in all things, even as your soul prospers. So if you wanted to use it, that stuff is in there, but we don't because we're so big on policing, like, I think the two biggest things, particularly the church circles that we've been in, because we've been in those circles, particularly in this area, um, gender and sexuality are two things that we utterly fail at. We just, we don't know anything about it. We choose not to know anything about it. And we look to a book that has ideas and concepts about sexuality and gender that are so far removed from our modern context that they make no sense. And I mean, they are problematic to us, yes, but we're living thousands, you know, hundreds and thousands of years away from them. Right, but that's what I'm saying. In in terms of they're problematic because of the context that we live in. Right. And so, like, to them, this made all the sense in the world, but they didn't know. It's like if you have somebody saying, you know, like, um, Masturbation is wrong because you're spilling your seed like Onan, which really wasn't even the reason why Onan, right, you know, like right. it, it really, it was bigger than that. Like he did. Like, nah, he didn't get struck down because because of his pullout method, fam. Like he, That's not why. Like, basically, he got, 
I mean, it was connected to it, but Onan got struck down because he didn't impregnate um, the, um, Scott, what, what her name was. He was supposed to get her pregnant. Right. I mean, he didn't do it. And so that's why he got struck down. But this, I, they thought that women just held the seed and that men had like that. They thought that like whatever was in semen was like little seeds, like you like you, like you plant like a tree or something. Right. You, like you just plant it and then it just grows. And they didn't know anything about sperm and egg cells. This and, is not Jack and the Giant Beast. Yeah, they didn't know that. <laughs> and so to say something like that, like, oh, like and I've heard people say that, like, oh, if you're masturbating, you're wasting your seed. That doesn't. You don't waste, do you? What? <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. But well, I, I'm sorry, but the last time I checked, we're not clones. Well, this isn't a factory. Like we can't. But that we, doesn't it, make sense because think about it. If that's, right, if that's, but it's also it's also biologically it's biologically unsustainable for someone just to just have baby after baby after baby after baby. That's why so many people died in childbirth. Right. Back then. It's like they're babies, baby machines, and you just, you know, it's huh. but yeah, we don't get that stuff at all. And so and so much is tied into that stuff about gender and sexuality. Mm-hmm. You you're not really an adult until you get married. Your opinion doesn't really count too much unless you're married. If you're a man and you're unmarried past a certain age, you must be gay. If you're a woman and unmarried at some point, then something is wrong with you. Or yep. you got to just live in the church house or whatever. So it's, uh, I'm just, yeah. Give me on that. But I just think that what I encourage people to do is honestly find your own path. Like, yep. take, like that's what I had to do in my own life. I had to sit back and say, I need to figure out who I am. And it's not too late because I'm alive. And so figure right. out what I need to know and learn and grow and it's been awkward it's been annoying it's been scary but i'm happy um that i went on that journey and so you have to put yourself in another environment and really work do the work to build the life that affirms who you are um and that's what i would say who said this um to, to, to really work to build a life that affirms you so to within the the best of your ability to be around people places and things that nurture you the you who you are now and the you that you're trying to find out um that's what i recommend that they do i agree i mean frankly folks love telling you telling you how to make decisions that they don't have to live with right and i'm like yeah you you're you're giving all this advice that nobody asked you for um, so freely. And it's like, listen, you're projecting your ideas about happiness and, you know, fulfillment and contentment on, onto that particular person. And the truth of the matter is they might want something totally different than what you want. And just because they don't want what you want does not mean it's not an attack on you. It's just a reflection of the reality that they're an adult and they have, they have their own choices and decisions to make. And that what works for them is not going to work for you. And just because what works for them is different does not mean it's automatically a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we just have a really hard time not telling other people what to do. They really do. We have like 
I would love to get a bunch of young millennial adults who are like a little younger than me, like like their early to mid twenties, mm-hmm. and just tell them to say, "Hey, listen." I mean, but millennial Christians, particularly like Black millennial Christians, if I can oh, get them all God. in the room and like sit down and talk to them and say, "Hey, listen, you have to take ownership of your life. You yep. figure out who you are. The only like it is your job to figure out who you are and what you want to go after and to live fully." into that. That is what you need to do. Not to try to fit these roles that somebody else prescribed for you. And I think that's trouble because people see the folks who, at least on the outside, it seems to work for. But for everyone you see that it works, there are plenty that don't. And it's to tell them that, listen, you figure out who you are. You figure out what you want to do and where you want to go. You need to figure that out. You need to learn, like, you, your body, your mind, your desires, they are not bad. Right. You need to figure out what those desires mean to you and for you and how to best live into those so you can have a life that you like to live every morning. When you, at least most mornings, you know? (laughs) Right. I wholeheartedly agree with you on that. And I actually had a conversation with um, a really good friend of mine. And I said, look, they are not the ones that that are going to have to live with you, live with your decision. And if the decision turns out to be not so great, okay. So that's just something that you learn and you keep it moving as you move towards what you really, really want. And it's not like no one else is responsible for your happiness no one is responsible for um like don't allow other people to tell you who you are right just don't you need to tell us who you are you need to figure out what who what you are i think even like i guess going back to the the prayer piece Mm -hmm. um one of the reasons that I appreciate it, like me, because, you know, in the way that my quote unquote prayer light changed is that I stopped listening to hear somebody else. And I wanted to learn what my own voice sounded like. Mm-hmm. And I think that you're taught source of strife. What is God saying? What do you hear God saying? And God is always somewhere else. God is either, you know, a, a booming something or a still small voice somewhere else. Or God speaks to another person about you and all whatever. But you never know what you actually want. What do you feel like? How do you see the world? What do you want to see happen? You never hear that. Great. And I think that is a really, really, really big problem. Well. You know, I did have something to say for the woes and blessings part of all of this, but I don't care anymore. You don't, you don't care anymore? No. I think, oh, we, that, I think we did enough. Do you have one? I, woes and blessings? Listen, I, I know you've heard about this whole Hurt Bay video that has been trending. Oh, goodness. You, you've heard of this, yes? I have. Okay. So, I just want to personally say that I can, I have a sneaky suspicion that this is the kind of stuff that would be very prevalent in, say, like, 
like the Christian version of this would be basically him giving her the talk about how, well, I don't think the Lord is leading us to be together. I don't think the Lord is leading us in the direction of marriage. Oh, God. <laughs> I, really, I, I really think that that's how it would go down. <laughs> and let's just be completely 100 and real here. There are plenty of church guys that have behaved like him mm-hmm. and have been, and there's no real consequence for it. And it's kind of crazy because what gets me so frustrated about that is that you always hear that she doesn't know her worth. It's like, wait a minute. Like, why are you automatically talking about she doesn't know her worth? Like, what does that have to do with anything? It's a matter of him basically knowing that he was in a relationship or knowing that he was in someone, knowing in a he was with someone who basically wanted to be exclusive and he didn't want to do that. And he just decided to take the lazy route and sleep with whoever he wanted to sleep with in order to get her to break up with him. And it's just like so whack. So, and it's ridiculous. I, I, so one, I could, I mean, I've seen this happen to many Christian people, but I think particularly with that situation, um, I think one, the one thing is that they're both really young. And so I said to give them, not necessarily the benefit of the doubt, but to remember that all of us have done done stuff when we were young, in our 20s. Doesn't excuse anything, but I think that is something that needs to be said. However, I also can see how the way we talk about relationships also hinders both of them to the point where maybe she felt like she had to stay and work it through, but he felt like he couldn't be honest from jump. Right. And so if he, if, if, if he just wanted to say, listen, I like you, you're cool. I like to kick it with you, but I don't want to be anything exclusive. That's totally fine. I think like if we're going to, cause I mean, there were no overt Christian themes in, in the Hurt Bay video, but yeah. um, there's so many, like in the church world, you're taught about how certain things have to be. Right. And so you, when people inevitably go outside of those rules if you will no one knows how to do that in a way that's healthy and honest and 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 holistic because we're never taught how to do that like we're never taught that hey listen be honest about you know whatever you know if you you have to hide everything you can't be honest about what you want and how you want it and with who you want it you can't be honest about the type of stuff and so we encourage a culture um where People lie. People keep secrets. And again, I'm not saying that that excuses secrets that harm other people. I'm not saying that at all. What I am saying, though, is that we we maintain a culture where it makes because people go outside of them anyway. And so to maintain everything, you have to keep secrets and you have to lie. You have to obscure. And so until we change that part, that's what's going to happen. Um. You know, so it's like I can see that working both ways. It doesn't excuse. And I think, too, like what you said, the idea that, um, well, she has to figure I can see that. Well, she has to figure out what her worth is. Oh, OK, that could all be fine and good. But I, I what I don't like is how people make it seem as if you not knowing your worth makes it OK for people to be shitty to you. 
Right. And I think that's what that thing is. It's like, well, well, if only you knew your worth, beloved, like this Ianla silliness type <laughs> stuff. And so it's like, it's like, no, it's that doesn't really. But that's also reinforcing purity culture and that you're saying, well, if you know your worth, then you, you see your 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 sexuality or you see your sexual expression as something that has to be like managed or bartered or used as a tool as for negotiation, which makes it like more about power and control than it is about mutuality and respect and equality. Hmm. True. So that's the thing that kind of drives me crazy about that, which goes into what you were saying about the whole, you know, teaching your daughters to keep your virginity until marriage. Like, ugh. Like, I, I get so tired of that because it's like if that was really the case, then some of these dudes appendages should have shrunken and fell off a long time ago. Oh, my goodness. I'm just saying. If <laughs> we're talking about, I mean, because if we're going to talk about someone's lack of sexual activity uh, increases their marriageability or stock in purity culture. And if it was supposedly as equal and fair as it really was then these dudes that are out here sticking and moving should be the ones that are struggling and dealing with protracted singleness. And it's not. It's the the other way around. Well, the thing is, too, I mean, we need to end soon, but <laughs> I think this is this works its own episode, I'm sure. It does. But the, uh, the reality is, is that people are not getting married as much anymore. And that's because a lot of things that we assume that we need for marriage, like, you know, financial stability, mobility, all this other stuff, we don't, we can't get it because nobody have a job. People don't have access to the things that you need to get, like, a car and a house and Mm -hmm. to have good credit and all this other stuff. Like, people don't have it. And so people aren't marrying as much as as soon. People are getting married later. And they're, they're actually, marriages are on, I believe I saw something that said that, Marriages are on the decline, but second marriages are on the rise. So people are getting married again, and people aren't getting pe- less people are getting married for the first time, but more people are getting married for the second time, mm-hmm. which is interesting. And I, mm-hmm. I, I believe that's right. I have to see where I found that. I, that, I hope that's right. <laughs> but no, it's like the the way that life actually works. Well, well, here's the thing, and I, I think I'll say this, and then I'm done for the evening. Um, the Bible itself really, if you read it, it doesn't say one thing about most of the things it discusses. There is not one clear word on how women should behave or what men should do or what God is even like. There is not one particular thing. And there is, there are plenty of things that if you know, you in one book, God is like this. In other books, God is like that. In uh, one book, it's, it goes back and forth. And so what happens is, is that the Bible is a collection of these books and these writings where people contextualize their idea of God in that situation. Jesus even did that. Paul did that. Like he was clearly saying, like when he, like you read Galatians and all the other stuff and all the other books in the New Testament, that they're taking these old ideas and putting a new spin on them to advance their own ideas. So we can do the same thing. We can do that too. And look at where, look at where we are in life 
Look at what we understand about our lives, our bodies, our existence. And we can use these tools to, to, to reconfigure an idea that works for us. We can do that. Hey, family, thanks for tuning in to the show. You can follow us on Twitter at Dell and Jess. That's D-E-L-L-A-N-D-J-E-S-S. And if you have any questions or thoughts or whatever else, um, just not spam, uh, email us at the Dell and Jess show at gmail.com. Peace.